Let's take our Bibles tonight. We're going to turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to let you remain seated. We're going to be kind of all over the scriptures tonight, at least the New Testament, and that's okay. We've been looking at uh, some of the implications of a verse, a single verse, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We haven't necessarily spent all of our time in that verse and really digging into it, but taking from other places in scripture to understand the implications of 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5, verse number 23. And I want to read this for you tonight. As it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this verse of scripture, we find that it is the will of God for all of his people to be sanctified. The word sanctified means to be set apart. As we study the concept of sanctification through the scriptures, we find that this is actually a process that takes place in the life of believers. In fact, there are a few different aspects to sanctification. There is that first aspect of sanctification, which is at the moment of salvation, we are set apart for the Lord. We are declared righteous in the sight of God. We are His. Just as we heard in that song a moment ago, even the thief on the cross, in that moment that he cried out to the Lord, he was sanctified unto the Lord. He was saved. He was set apart. We would refer to that as positional sanctification. He received the righteousness of Christ applied to him in that very moment. And that's something that happens when we get saved. And then there is another kind of sanctification that is discussed in Scripture, and that is when this life is over and we stand in the presence of the Lord, we will be completely or perfectly sanctified. We talk about perfect sanctification, that one day when this life is over and we go to be with the Lord in heaven, we will be set apart from this world and from sin unto God. And in that moment, the Bible tells us we do not yet know, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And in that moment, when we meet the Lord face to face, we will be changed never again to sin, never again uh, to have wicked thoughts, we will be perfectly and completely sanctified in that moment. But between those two aspects of sanctification, there is a process that takes place. When a person gets saved, he is positionally sanctified, but he begins a process of progressive sanctification through life in which God is working more and more in our lives continually to make us like Christ. We are being conformed, the Bible says, to the image of Christ. And this is something that begins at the moment of salvation, but continues until the time that we meet the Lord. You see, God is working to make us a holy people unto himself. We are told that we are to be holy as he is holy. And I don't know if you realize this or not, or maybe we don't consider it enough, but God is interested in your personal holiness, your separation unto him. God is working in your life, if you're a child of God, to make you more 
like Christ. And that's what really this prayer uh, is that Paul says he's, he's praying. This is what he's desiring for these people. He said, in the very God of peace, sanctify you or, or, or make you holy, set you apart unto himself, holy, completely. And then he says, and I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in previous weeks, we have considered the fact that we are not one-dimensional as, as, as people, as individuals. We are actually created in the image of God. We are a three-part being. Man consi- consists of spirit and soul and body. And God is interested not in just part of you, but in all of you. He wants He wants you to be pleasing to Him. He wants you to be holy and sanctified unto Him in all aspects, in all areas of your life. We've taken some time to talk about our spiritual life and the priority of our spiritual life. We've talked about the soul and how we can be sanctified not only in our relationship with God, but even in our thought life and in our emotions and in our will and our desires and all of those things. But tonight... I want to look at maybe one of the more neglected aspects of sanctification in the mind of most Christians. And that is being sanctified to God in your body. How many of you have ever heard someone say, God doesn't care about what's on the outside because God only sees and only cares about the heart. Anybody ever heard that or something similar to that before? Now that concept I think comes from a statement that God made in 1 Samuel, rather, where he was speaking to Samuel the prophet, and he said to him that man does not see as God sees. He says that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And that's true. We can only see, man can only judge what we see outwardly. What we hear, the words that are spoken, the way that a person behaves, we're, made, we're forced to make a judgment call based on what we see externally. We can't look within a person's heart and see what's going on. God has a different vantage point, doesn't he? And he sees what's going on on the inside. I mean, we're sitting here tonight in this room, and, and most everyone who's here, you know, you're, you're engaged in what's going on. You seem to be listening and paying attention. You, you, you've come dressed the part. You're, 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 you look good on the outside. And, and I would have no reason to, d- to doubt the sincerity of any individual in this room that you are saved, that you're walking with the Lord, that you desire to please the Lord in your life. But understand that I can only see what's on the outside. And God is able to see beyond what I can see. And he knows the real you and what's on the inside. And God can see things that man cannot see. That is absolutely true. But we need to be careful not to misunderstand that because God has a different vantage point than we do and he can see things that we cannot see, that does not mean that God is only concerned with the heart. That God isn't concerned with with the outside as well. Now, please understand me. Jesus had a lot of run-ins with the Pharisees because the Pharisees were concerned only about that which was external, 
only about the appearance on the outside. And Jesus said they were like whited sepulchers. They were like someone going over to the cemetery across the road and making all of those headstones and all of those gravestones look really beautiful. But we understand that a cemetery is not a place of life. And Jesus said that the, 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 the Pharisees were like, like whited sepulchers that on the outside they looked beautiful, they looked wonderful, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. They weren't right with God. In fact, he even quoted the Old Testament that these people would draw nigh unto me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And that was the issue. They were outwardly, they looked righteous, but inwardly they were unrighteous. And so we understand that, yes, the heart matters to God. And God sees the heart, but that does not mean and that does not exclude the outside as well. In other words, it's not just that God is concerned with your heart. Oftentimes, that statement, well, it doesn't matter what's on the outside because God sees the heart and he doesn't care what's on the outside. That's often used really as justification to say, then it doesn't matter what I do with my body, because God knows what's on the inside, and that's all that God cares about. The biblical understanding of this, however, is that if things are right on the inside, that's going to be reflected outwardly. In other words, let me put it to you this way. Let's say that I became physically abusive to my wife. And and, and, and every day, this was an issue where I was... was, Uh, uh, becoming physically violent toward her, and in the process of that, I justified my behavior because I said to her, listen, what you need to know is that deep down in my heart, I love you. And if you know that I really love you, then it shouldn't really matter what I'm doing outwardly because in my heart, I love you, and God knows my heart. Well, that's not true, is it? I mean, it's true God knows your heart, but if you love someone, you're not going to do that, right? That should affect our behavior. And if I really love God, and if I'm really right with God, then that should show in my actions, in my words, and in the way that I carry myself in life. If things are right on the inside, they're going to be right on the outside. So it's not true that God doesn't care about my flesh, my body, It's not true, by the way, that God doesn't care what I wear or how I adorn my body or what I put into my body. That's not true at all. In fact, if you consider the Old Testament law, you find, read the book of Leviticus and find that God had very strict standards for the nation of Israel in regard to their bodies and the way that they carried themselves, the way they treated their bodies, the food that they ate, the clothes that they wore the way that they cleanse themselves. And you might look at that and say, well, I mean, we're not under the Old Testament law. We're under grace, and that would be true. But what does grace teach us? Grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and fleshly lusts, we should live soberly, righteous, and godly in this present world. Grace, the fact that we are under grace, it does It does free us from the burden of obeying the letter of the law, but it adds to us an additional responsibility to walk in obedience and accordance to the Spirit of God and His leadership in our lives. And let us never forget 
And we hear people say, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament as though they're two different gods. Let me tell you something. It's the same God. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, I'm not saying to you that everything that you find back in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus applies to your life today. All I'm saying is this. If God cared back then, what makes us think that God doesn't care today about how I treat this body that he has given to me? Go with me, if you would, to the book of Romans, chapter number 6. Romans chapter 6. I want to show you tonight that I believe that God does care even about our physical bodies. And I want to show you why that is. Romans chapter 6, verse number 12. It says here, Let not sin, therefore... Reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Listen to verse 13. Neither yield ye your members, that's your, your physical body parts, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Verse 14, for, ye are not, for, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Verse 16, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Think about this with me if you would. It is true that what God is looking at primarily is the heart. However, he's also called us to obedience, righteousness, and holiness. Did you know you can obey God from the heart, but you don't obey God with the heart? Let me explain that to you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Okay, we're supposed to assemble together in church. You say, well, pastor, I was there in heart. Well, no. To assemble is to be present in body. Right? Okay. Uh, the Lord told us that we are to preach the gospel to every creature. We don't preach with our heart. We preach with our mouth. Right? We're to give. We're to tithe. We're to give offerings unto the Lord. We don't say, well, you know, in my heart, I'm giving to the Lord. No, we give with our actions. In other words, God has given to us a body with which we are to serve him. And our members are instruments. And they can be instruments. Our, my hands can be instruments for God and to serve the Lord or instruments to sin. My arms, my feet, my mouth, my tongue, the words that I say. They, these can be instruments for good. The Bible says that uh, death and life are in the power of the tongue in the book of Proverbs. So my tongue can be used for good and for the glory of God, or it can be used for evil, for wickedness. 
And so even though it is my heart that needs to be right with God, if my heart is right with God, I'm going to use this physical body that God has given to me as an instrument of obedience to God. And I cannot say that things are right in the heart, and well, my heart's right with God, meanwhile I am yielding my instruments, my flesh, as instruments of unrighteousness. That doesn't work that way. And so if if God is concerned about us being right with Him, we need to say, okay, it's not just the heart. It starts in the heart. But that's going to flow into my actions and even the way that I carry myself and the, the way that I use the body that God has given me. We're in Romans chapter 6. Let's go over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians 6, and we will begin reading in verse number 15. It says here, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What, know ye not that, that, which, that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore... Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, if you've been saved, you have been positionally set apart unto God. And your members are members of Christ. Your flesh, your body is the tool that God has given you with which to serve him. If you then take that which God has given you to serve him and you use that for unrighteousness, you've defiled the temple of God. And he said in verse number 20 that because you are saved, you're bought with a price, you are to glorify God in your body as well as in your spirit, which are God's. Oh, God only cares about my heart. No, no, no. He cares about your heart. But you're to glorify Him in your body as well. God wants all of you God wants all of you. He's not interested in just this part. Okay, you know, I, I believe in God and, and I've trusted Christ as my Savior and, and, I, and I go to church and I pray and I do those things, but then, then I also have this like separate life. Those of you who know my testimony know that that was me for, for several years of my life. It was like I was living a double life where inwardly, I was saved and the Lord was even working in me, but outwardly I was not living the way that God wanted me to live. And there was this conflict in me. The the Bible describes it in the book of Galatians as the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And I was paralyzed. Not physically, but spiritually I was paralyzed because what was coming out on the outside didn't reflect what God was trying to do on the inside. So you can say, well, hey, you know, God only cares about the heart, but it's not that God only cares about the heart. 
We're to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. And so with that being said, and kind of that foundation laid, I want to ask you in the the, the next few minutes here, what does it look like and, and how do we go about allowing the Lord to sanctify us wholly in spirit and soul and body? How can my flesh, my body, be sanctified unto the Lord? Let me just show you a few places in Scripture. If you'll go back with me to Romans, but this time chapter 12, it begins with devotion. It begins with devotion. By devotion, I mean a yielding unto the Lord, a committing of yourself unto the Lord. So we read in Romans 12, verse 1, a very familiar verse of Scripture. It says, Romans 12, verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What's he saying? I want, I want to encourage you. I want to, in fact, he says, I beseech, I, I beg you, I plead with you, that you would take your physical body and present it to the Lord for His glory, as an offering unto the Lord. We sing that song, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. What do we sing? Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. What, what, that, that, that song is really a prayer to the Lord. We're saying, Lord, take all of me, even my own physical body, use it for Your glory. Can I ask you this, has there ever been a time in your life where you yielded your own flesh to the Lord and said, Lord, with this body that you have given to me, I want to serve you, I want to glorify you in everything that I do. Because God does care. You know, there are several things that I find, I find it interesting. There are continual battles especially within churches, if you're trying to hold to biblical truth and biblical standards, there are several things that are always a battle. One of those things is music. What's the right kind of music? Do you know how many of those issues could be resolved? If rather than saying, well, this is the right kind of music and this is the wrong kind of music and here's where that line is, if every one of God's children said, Lord, would you help me to listen to and use music only that is pleasing to you? Lord, is this a song that I ought to be listening to, having my children listen to? Is this music helping me to grow in my walk with the Lord, you know, we we could resolve that issue. If we were all yielded to, Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want. Another area of battle, clothing, dress. And it's one of those things. People want to bicker back and forth. Well, is this okay? Well, you know, this says this over here. Yeah, but that's Old Testament. let, let Let me solve this issue for you. When you get up tomorrow morning, Go to your closet and say, Lord, what would you have me to wear today? Sincerely, from your heart, Lord, what would you have me to wear today? And then put it on and stand in front of the mirror and say, Lord, is this pleasing to you? 
Now you might say, that, that's silly, that's, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. Everything in your life matters to God. And it's not your job. Listen, it is not your job to please me or any other member of this church. It is your job to please the Lord. He owns you. You belong to Him. So it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what others think. What matters is what God thinks. And if we would say, Lord, what do you want? We're yielding and saying, Lord, this is it. Now, here's another thing. All right? And this, I'll step on a lot of good Baptist toes here. The food you eat. Lord, is this what you want me to put into my body? We, we pray, Lord, bless this food to my body. Take this Twinkie that I'm about to put in here and nourish my flesh so that I can serve you with it. Maybe we ought to say, Lord, what, what would you have me to eat? I'm just saying that if our body, if we really understand this concept that everything I have, by the way, this, this isn't just the physical fleshly body either. It's things like this. Lord, how do you want me to spend my time? Do you want me to spend the next hour scrolling through social media? Is that the best use of the time that you've given to me? How do you want me to use my tongue in speaking to my husband or my wife or my children or my parents or my neighbors or my boss at work? How can I glorify you in my body and my spirit? Does it all belong to him? It starts with this presentation, this yielding to say, okay, Lord, you've, you've saved me and now all of me belongs to you and so I'm presenting the instruments with which I can serve you, I'm placing them on the altar and saying, Lord, take it and use it in a way that pleases you. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. There is devotion. Secondly, not only is there devotion, there needs to be discipline. There needs to be discipline. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is important in, in, in an area that I think, I don't know if we overlook it or if we consider it to not be that serious, but, but it really is serious. The Bible often talks about the flesh. I quoted to you from Galatians 5 a few moments ago that the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That's a reference not just to your physical body. That's a, that's a reference to the old nature, right? The old man. That's who we were before Christ. It's that flesh, our fleshly desires. However, there is the flesh in terms of the old nature, and then there's the flesh, that which is physical, the tangible physical body that you and I live in, this, this fleshly body. But what I think we fail to understand sometimes is that oftentimes the old man, the flesh, attacks us through the physical flesh that we have. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. 
lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying I have to bring my the old man, the flesh, into and under the control of the Spirit of God. But he uses this term. He says, I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. And now, with that in mind, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 26. I, I mentioned that the flesh, the old man, the old nature, often attacks us through our physical body. Think about it this way with me. When Satan came to Jesus to tempt him in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4, what was the first thing that he came to? Oh, you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. That hunger was a physical desire. And so Satan uses a need, a physical need in his life to try and tempt him to yield to Satan in his life. It was a legitimate physical bodily need and desire through which he was being attacked. I want to show you this in Matthew 26. We'll begin reading in verse number 37. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says in verse 37, He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Listen to these words. The spirit indeed is willing... But the flesh is weak. Now, it's possible, and, and there, there have been a lot of times I scratched my head reading that. Because, okay, the spirit and the flesh are warring against another. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, wouldn't that mean that the spirit would win? No, because the flesh that he's referring to here is not the old man, the flesh. He's talking about the physical flesh. The disciples were physically worn out. They were emotionally drained. They, they had had a long week. Now their Lord and Master has told them that he's about to go to the cross and die. He's leaving them. It's late at night. And they're in a quiet garden dark outside and they sit down under a tree waiting for Jesus to get done praying like some of you are waiting for me to get done preaching and their eyes are getting heavy their flesh was weak and the weakness of their physical flesh actually created an opportunity for the old man, the flesh, to overcome that willing spirit within them. Whereas they would say, Lord, it wasn't that I wanted to be sleeping. I wanted to watch with you. But I just was too weak. You see, 
Satan often will attack through the physical flesh. And that's the reason, or one of the reasons, that we as children of the Lord need to learn how to be disciplined physically. That we need to train ourselves and teach ourselves to allow the Spirit to overcome the flesh. Let me give you some examples of that. One example would be fasting. You know what the purpose of fasting is? There are several purposes mentioned in Scripture, like afflicting of our souls and that kind of thing. But the idea is this. The body, the physical flesh, is hungry and wants to eat. But I'm prioritizing the spiritual need of the moment, and I'm going to give myself to prayer instead of eating Because I want to feed the spirit and not the flesh. And that's a discipline. That's a difficult thing to do. Because your body's telling you, hey, I need food. I need to eat. I need fuel. But we discipline that. And we prioritize the spirit above the flesh. Another thing would be arising early in the morning. When the body says to sleep. To arise ahead of time before you have to. In order to spend some time with the Lord. Or potentially staying up late into the night. You know, we see Jesus doing that. We see Jesus rising early in the morning, a great while before day, to go and pray to his Father. We see him continuing all night in prayer. What is that? It's resisting the physical temptations and desires. There's nothing wrong with sleep and there's nothing wrong with eating. But it's a discipline. It has this idea, I need to make sure my flesh knows who's really in control. The problem is that we tend to be, as Americans, as American Christians, we are accustomed to having whatever we need and really whatever we want, whenever we want it. And so we give the flesh what it wants, we give the flesh what it wants, we give the flesh what it wants, and then we try in a moment where, okay, I need to stay awake tonight and pray about this need. And we've not exercised that discipline muscle very well. I believe that's what Paul's talking about in in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection because the body that I have needs to know God's in control here. It's not in control. It's not my flesh telling me what to do. It's the Lord that's leading me. I want to show you another place. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. It says, furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. What is that vessel that he's talking about? It's your body. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. What's the idea behind this? You need to learn to control 
your body. Why? Because sometimes there are temptations, even to sin, that come in a physical form. And if all you've ever done is feed the flesh, feed the flesh, feed the flesh, you're not going to be able to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. You've got to discipline that. I think it is a good exercise and practice for God's people to know how to go for a day without eating. How to go for a night without sleeping so that you can give yourself to prayer. Now, I'm not saying that God wants you to just torture your body. You know, that, that, that's not the idea. In fact, you need to take care of your physical body. It's, it's, it's the only one that God's given you to serve Him. Make sure it's getting the nutrients it needs, getting the sleep and the rest that it needs. That's a good thing. But I'm just saying, sometimes it's a healthy thing to learn some discipline, physical exercise beyond what your body wants to do, to be able to bring it under control. But here's the important thing. It's not your control. This is what, this is what the world doesn't understand. Because the world has the idea of, I need to be in control of my flesh, my body, so athletes learn to push themselves beyond the limits of what their body tells them they can do. And, and people in the military and, and things of that, there's this idea of, well, you need to be in control of your body. That's not what the Bible is teaching us. It's not that we need to be in control. It's that we need to allow the Lord to control, to be in control. And so there is a devotion, first of all, Lord, here, here am I, here's my body, here's everything of me, I want you to use this for your glory, I'm going to discipline my flesh so that it is not controlling me, but that it is under control, but then there is also deference because it is not my control. God does not need me to be in control of my body. I need, and He wants... Him to be in control of me. The Lord needs to be in control of me. So Galatians 5, as I've quoted now a couple of times, let's just go there, back to the book of Galatians quickly. Galatians chapter number 5, and let's see what the Bible says here. I've quoted verse 17. Flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But look at verse number 16. It says, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at verse 18. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. So the whole concept of this is not, hey... Make sure that you discipline your body so that you're in charge. No, 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 no. It's discipline your body so that God's in charge. Walk in the Spirit and submit to Him. Defer to Him and be in control, in the control of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, temperance, the concept of temperance, which is, by the way, part of the fruit of the Spirit, mentioned Right here in uh, verse number 23, it says meekness, temperance, against such there is no law, in reference to the fruit of the Spirit. Temperance is often taught as self-control. But in this passage, it's actually not self-control, it's spirit control. 
This is something that comes out of being led by the Spirit of God. And so here's the the question tonight. From all these things that we've considered, does God care about your body? Yes, He does. It belongs to Him. You need to be sanctified, even in your own body. But the question is this, are we willing to devote ourselves, to present ourselves and say, Lord, everything, this body, even, even down to my very flesh and skin and everything, it is yours to be used in the service of the Lord. You've saved me and I belong to you and Lord, take it and use it as you will. Have you presented yourself? Are you disciplining yourself? Are you working? Not to torture yourself, not to, not like where, you know, the the Gnostics always taught that the more that you could suppress the flesh, the more spiritual you became. And that's where even things like self-mutilation and all that came out of that. God doesn't want any of that. But the idea is this, are you allowing your flesh to control you? Are you allowing the Spirit of God to control even your flesh? And are you deferring to Him, Lord, every day and every moment of every day, are you yielding to the Spirit of God? Lord, you take control. You take the reins. You make the decisions. It's not up to us. It's up to Him. We belong to Him. Are you glorifying God in your body as well as in your spirit? Let's pray. Father.